Hello, this is Dan Bender, executive producer of the Singles Podcasting Network. Today, I'm excited to present Single Living, a podcast that brings you straight talk on everything that concerns today's singles, including relationships, dating, travel, and financial security. Single Living is hosted by Rich Goss, a well-respected expert in the singles industry. He is the author of eight books on dating and has lectured on the subject in over 50 colleges and universities. Rich is frequently interviewed by the news media, including Oprah, CNN, Fox News, and the Wall Street Journal, to name just a few. And now, here's the host of Single Living, Rich Goss. My guest today is Dr. Susan Campbell, a psychologist. She is the author of many books, including The Couple's Journey and Beyond the Power Struggle. Today, we will discuss her latest book, Truth and Dating. Welcome, Susan. Hi, Rich. Why do you write that truth is sexy? Well, here's the deal. Most people out on a date try too hard to make a good impression. Right. And as a result, they are tense rather than relaxed. Exactly. And they're not their natural, sexy, attractive selves. Because they're just trying too hard. So people try to be sexy, and in the trying, they become less sexy, is what you're saying. Yeah, well, they try to make a good impression. They don't all try to be sexy, but, uh, <laughs> but any trying whatsoever is not very sexy. Well, you know, there's an old saying, Susan, that you only get one chance to make a first impression. How do you answer that? Well, I think that's wrong, actually. Really? Uh, you only get one chance to make a first impression, but the first impression isn't something I want people to worry too much about. Because, again, the more you're worried about your impression, the more you're in a space of trying to think too much instead of just be relaxed. My whole approach is to help people be more confident with who they just happen to be in that moment. Because that very phrase, you only get one chance to make a good impression, instills fear in people. Yes. My truth skills, I teach these 10 truth skills that make yes. people able to be more spontaneous and present and real. And one of them is you can go out and come in again. If you flubbed something, you can call the person up and say, you know, I didn't say what I really meant there. If I had it to do over, here's what I'd say. So I, I want people to give themselves a second, third chance at things. Yeah, but will the other person give you another chance? You know, if you have a bad first date, are they really going to give you another chance and go out with you again? I don't worry about that. That's, again, instilling fear in people. Yeah. Don't worry about whether they're going to go out with you again. If they don't want to go out with you again, there's plenty of other people there who will want to go out with you. Just be yourself, is my advice. I think that's the hardest lesson to teach single people. You know, the phrase I like to yes, use is. is that single people are like buses. Another one comes along every 15 minutes. It's true. And, it's and true, people... especially with the Internet dating and all the yeah. activities that you provide for people, Rich. Right. They ought to know this, but see, what I found in my research that I did before I wrote this book was that there's an incredible amount of fear in the dating world. We're so afraid of being hurt or causing hurt. And, you know, the biggest challenge for most of the daters is just going up to somebody and saying, I'm attracted to you, or I'd like to, they don't have to say I'm attracted to you, but, <laughs> but beginning a conversation, saying, I'd like to get to know you better. That one, and then the other one is, Somebody says that to them, and, the, and their true answer is, you know, well, I'm not that interested in you. But they're so afraid of that happening, yeah. they don't even allow themselves to be open and natural and sexy and attractive. 
Right. One of my favorite lines when I'm being interviewed by the news media is I like to say that uh, people are so afraid of rejection and they just, uh, you know, turn it into a, you know, like it's going to be a nuclear war if they get rejected. You know, their, their ego is going to be obliterated off the face of the planet. It's just incredible how much people invest of their self-esteem in one human being and the power they can have over your self-concept. I agree with that completely. We put way too much weight on any one dating interaction. And we will learn to do that less as we find that the rewards of just being relaxed and natural and saying, hey, I'd like to talk to you more and I hope you'd like that too. And if they get a no answer, then what happens there is they get their feelings hurt. And the deeper lesson here is to learn how to cope when you have your feelings hurt. That's what people are really afraid of. Exactly. Well, let's get into that, Susan. How do you cope with being rejected? Well, first of all, you have to value feeling your feelings. You have to say to yourself and be able to know that feeling my feelings, whatever they are, brings me to a deeper level of connection with myself. Even if whatever I feel, if I can let myself feel it, it's like a very important thing about being human. The truth is, even deeper than that, if you let yourself feel the pain that comes from rejection, it helps you heal your fear of pain. See, people do go around fearing pain, but that comes from an outmoded self-concept that we're little and dependent, and we're not little and dependent anymore. I mean, when we were little and dependent and somebody rejected us or abandoned us, it really was a survival issue. Yes. And all of us carry a wounded child around inside of us that needs some healing. And if you just let yourself feel the pain of rejection, when it really is there, not make it happen more than it needs to, but feel that pain, you will learn that you are big enough and strong enough to tolerate a certain amount of pain. Pain is unpleasant, yeah, but it's part of life. And if you live your whole life trying to avoid pain, it actually weakens you. Whereas letting yourself just go for it and have some painful rejections, it strengthens you and heals you. So what you're saying, Susan, is that singles have to stop being babies and go out there in the cruel world and face reality, and that includes a few times you're going to get rejected. Yep, yep. <laughs> and, and in a way, you know, when I say stop being babies, you said it, but I'll, you know, I'll agree with that. Yeah. But what I want to do is say that with compassion toward the baby part of yourself. Stop being a baby, but realize there's a baby part of yourself that needs nurturing, that needs comforting. And when you do get that rejection, if you do, comfort yourself. Comfort that little baby, but don't be a baby. (laughs) Okay. Sounds good. There's a big difference. (laughs) Right. Now, in your research, you explored the changing landscape of the singles world. What did you find? Well, one thing I found, I've already mentioned, which was that there's a lot of fear in the dating world. The other thing that I found was... A lot of people are staying single now, whereas 20 years ago, they would have gotten married. They would have just had lower standards. People have a lot higher standards now for a variety of reasons, including women are no longer economically dependent on men. And that's been going on for quite a while, but it's definitely a a truth. And so many, many people over the age of 35 told me something like this. I would rather be single than have to be in a relationship where I can't be myself. Yes. Or where I can't admit that this isn't working for me. A lot of uh, wives especially 
uh, in the 40s and 50s and, you know, even farther in the 60s and possibly the 70s, just put up with a lot of stuff that they didn't really want and didn't assert themselves. And um, then, of course, we had the, the period with lots and lots of divorces because, you know, women particularly started to assert themselves, and that caused a lot of problems. Right. Well, I- interestingly enough, two-thirds of all marriages are instigated by women in America. Uh-huh. And, and that's probably because of the reasons you're outlining, that in the olden days, the women used to put up with it. You know, if the guy only beat me up every other night, then I stayed with him. And if he beat me up every night, okay, then I would get a divorce. And now the women aren't willing to put up with any kind of abuse. So they get out of a bad relationship, hopefully. Yeah, and a lot of men may be a little gun-shy because of some of these statistics that you're talking about. They may be letting the women make the first move. Yes. For a lot of reasons. Also, the women are willing to make the first move now, and it's a great relief to many men it, to it have certainly one is. Make the first move, and so they can just kind of maybe kick back a little bit and allow that to happen. Yeah, it's always a surprise to women when I tell them that men like women to make the first move. In fact, uh, when I do my lectures, I have a show of hands because there's always a woman who say, well, men don't like forward women. And I say, well, let's check that out. And I ask the audience, how many men in this room would prefer not to have any of the women here tonight ask them to dance. And very very seldom does a man raise his hand. Now, of course, it could be that they're just shy to raise their hand, but the fact of the matter is the guys I talk to say, well, I feel very complimented when a woman asks me to dance, and hey, if the women are willing to take part of the responsibility for making things happen and willing to take a chance on being rejected, it makes it that much easier on the men at a party that you know we don't have all the responsibility thrust on our shoulders. Absolutely, and I find the same thing uh, in my work, Rich. Yep, the men raise their hands when asked that question. Sure. Tell us a little bit about the 10 truth skills. Uh, What's truth skill number one? Okay, the first truth skill, I call it experiencing what is. And a big part of experiencing what is, I did mention a couple minutes ago when I was talking about emotional pain. If you happen to be in an interaction that's painful or uncomfortable, allowing yourself to experience that rather than going into a what I call a control pattern, some kind of an automatic way to shield your vulnerability. So let's say you are thinking of approaching an attractive person that you see from across the room there and you have to walk a long way and you've got a long time for your fears to start coming up. Yes. So just being able to experience those fears rather than shutting them down and saying, oh, I shouldn't feel afraid. I should go in and confident and give my yes. best line, you know, my pre-rehearsed line. What if you just experience your fear and, you, and your voice cracks a little bit? That self-revelation that doesn't necessarily come with your words, but just, just with yourself allowing yourself to be whatever way you are, that can be very attractive and disarming. It helps the other person feel safe. If you're willing to take a risk and it's obvious that you're a little bit uncomfortable, it's really fine to be uncomfortable. Just let it be. A lot of women say they like it when a man shows his vulnerable side. Yes, I think that's really true. And I think men like it when the woman shows their vulnerable side too because they can be knights in shining armor. Exactly. Men love to rescue the damsels in distress. Yes. So women need to get back to owning their vulnerability too because... A lot of uh, women have been frustrated uh, in not getting what they want. That's another one of the true skills is, is knowing how to ask for what you want. Okay. So I'll just you know, flip over to that one. And a lot of women and a lot of people have not gotten what they want when they asked or when they went after it, both in childhood and in dating. And so they've shut down on showing that they have wants 
or they've found manipulative ways to get what they want rather than being open about, I'd really like to see you for a second date. Would you like that? You know, that's being vulnerable. That's saying what you want. Right. And it's amazing to me how single people often do not ask for what they want. I mean, the classic example, I throw 150 parties a year for singles, and I see so many people at these parties that spend a lot of time talking to somebody, and they're laughing, and they're having a good time, and the body language is great, and you look at them and say, well, these people are definitely going to get together again for a date, and then they each go their separate way, and neither one of them has the nerve to ask the other person out or even for a phone number. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is baffling, isn't it? It's uh, baffling to me. Why would they go to all the trouble of getting all fixed up? You know, some of these women will spend an hour or two fixing their hair and their makeup and putting on the right outfit and driving all the way out to the party, and they spend all this time meeting different guys and chit-chatting, and then they meet this one guy that they really, really like, and you think, man, for sure these people are going to get together again, and then they just let it go down the drain. I mean, it just yeah, totally Yeah, well, everybody me. waits for the other person to make the first move. Right. That's one of the things I found, too, in the research when people talk talked about their fears of rejection. That's the main fear. Sure. So I'll give them an example. I'll say, now, if the other person came up to you or said this to you, how would you feel? And like you and I were just saying, they always say, oh, that would be so wonderful. But I wouldn't be able to say that. I wouldn't be able to do that. But if the other person did it, it'd be great. So this is something that you and I want to educate singles about is we want people to realize that if you make the first move, a lot of things can follow from that, that the other person really, it's like you're rescuing the both of you from the possibility of, of loss, of the loss of never having another time to see each other. The lost opportunity. Yeah. You know, I get calls the next day and emails the next day. You know, Rich, I met this guy named Tom, and I'm not quite <laughs> sure where he lives, but he left before I could say goodbye to him, and I didn't get his phone number, or I didn't give him my number, and, you know, can you contact him? And I'm trying to think, well, who in the hell is Tom? I mean, how am I ever going to, you know, research this for them? They ask the impossible, and they don't realize it's your responsibility. You're an adult. Your responsibility yeah. to tell the guy, hey, I enjoyed speaking with you tonight. I want to get together again. Are you interested? But, man, they, the women say, oh, I couldn't do that. Yeah, if we could just get better at dealing with no, you know, like, no, I'm not interested in seeing you, that's the biggest hurdle to get over, that fear of emotional pain. Yes. And, you know, as I said, once you make that a goal and a value, that's probably the biggest thing is, is to realize, yeah, I've got that fear. Okay, now I make it a goal and a value. Now I go out and take some risks and get accepted and rejected and everything in between. And I survive. And lo and behold, I'm a more confident human being. And I'm a more attractive human being when I walk into a room. I take up more space. People see me more. And so, I mean, what better reward can there be than that? But, of course, it takes that first few risks to get you there. Okay, we've gone through a couple of the 10 truth skills. Can we move on to number three? Yeah, another one is giving and receiving feedback, honest feedback about how you're being perceived or what works for me and what doesn't work for me. So a lot of people like, you know, at an event like your events, what if the other person has bad breath or is using cologne that is offensive to your senses? Now, how would you deal with that? Now, that's like giving honest feedback to a person, but you don't want to hurt them and you don't have an upfront agreement. See, like I advise people that as soon as you know you really like somebody, yeah. We have an upfront agreement that we're going to talk to each other about those kind of things. Wow. But, you know, you're just meeting somebody at first. 
Yes. I mean, it's really such a relief to find somebody that you can have that kind of an agreement with. It's sort of like having a best friend, yes. but it might be, you know, a best friend that you're treating each other in a sense the way you'd like to be treated. Yeah, your best friend can tell you you have bad breath, and your best friend can tell you that your cologne isn't the greatest, but mm -hmm. um, people are, t are having a hard time doing that. Even if they've been going out for months, a lot of people can't say those things to each of other. Of course, they are having a hard time, but and the, the way they can get over that is to have an agreement, to say, yes. look, I read this book, Truth and Dating, by Susan Campbell. <laughs> she yes. suggests that after you start to like somebody, that you have the truth and dating conversation. I call it right. the truth and dating conversation. And, you, and you, you bring up the topic, uh, how truthful do we really want to be with each other? All do right. we want to be truthful about things like bad breath and cologne? Do we want to be truthful about how many other people we're dating? You know, just what level of truth-telling do we want? And, and you start right. having that conversation, and then everything else gets easier. And the sooner you have that conversation, the better. Yeah, I think the sooner you have it, the better, actually. Yeah, because so, so many people, as you know, Susan, make the mistake of falling in love first. You know, they, they're madly over with each other, and then they suddenly discover that they really don't know anything about the other person. They have this superficial view of the person. They're in love with the exterior, but they really don't know what's going on inside. And they panic, and they say, I'm in love with this person. I don't even know who they are. So then they start asking all these questions that they should have asked six months ago. Yeah, and the biggest question is, can we communicate about difficult things? Can we communicate right. about our differences? And if you can't communicate about your differences or your disappointments or the bad breath thing, your yes. relationship's going to fail. So that's one of the things to find out as early as you can. So the truth skill there is the truth skill of giving and receiving feedback. And in the book, I have specific guidelines for how to make that a safe conversation. Okay. How about the fourth uh, truth skill? Uh, the next one is... I call it being transparent. Being transparent is revealing to the other person what you're thinking and feeling at the time. So maybe I see somebody across the room that I'm attracted to, and I watch them for a minute, and I notice a few things about them, and then I walk over and I say, you know, I wanted to come over and talk to you because I noticed you joking around with your friends, and you look like the kind of person I would want to talk to, and you just share what was going on inside of you as you went over. Okay, I saw you doing this, and I thought to myself, you were a nice person. You might have a really good sense of humor, and I love to laugh, so maybe if I went over here, you'd make me laugh. You, know, you sort of share what was going on in your mind or your heart as you were walking across that room. Yes. And so that's the skill being transparent, and it works very well in a flirting situation. Yes. How about truth skill number five? So I've mentioned uh, asserting what you want. That's the next one. And I want to say something about that. Many people ask for what they want once or twice, and if they don't get it, they stop asking. This is usually in the context of a relationship. Like you might ask in, in a sexual thing to be touched in a certain way, but the guy doesn't get it, let's say. Your partner doesn't get it. And so you just stop asking. And at that point, you're not going to be very present. Once you're thinking something and you're not able to speak about it, yes. it's so much better to learn that even if you don't think you can get what you want, just ask for it as a self-disclosure, like I said, in being transparent. You just, you know, I'm thinking, here's what I would really like from you, and I'm afraid to ask for it because last time you didn't seem to want to give it to me. But you keep asking because asking brings you into the present moment. You're not in your head thinking, oh, I wish he would. You're saying yes. it, and then that clears the air so that you can be present. So all of these two skills are in the interest of staying in the present moment with the person you're with. 
and some people are afraid to ask for what they want because they really can't bear being rejected. So they keep these uh, requests to themselves and they spend 20, 30, 40 years in a marriage. They're, they're miserable because they're too embarrassed to ask for what they want. Yeah, and it goes back to that fear of emotional pain. And if they can yes. just ask and possibly be frustrated or disappointed and comfort themselves, and sometimes after you comfort yourself, you can go back to the other person and ask for reassurance. Yeah. All of those things are necessary relationship skills. Okay, let's move on to truth skill number five. After you ask for what you want, what's the next step? Another one that I think is really important is the ability to go out and come in again. The, I call it revising something that you said before. So in the early part of our interview, I said first impressions can be corrected. Well, here's something that happened to me one time. A guy asked me what I thought about him and what I was feeling about our relationship. And the truth was I was really, really attracted to him. But I was playing it safe. So I looked at him, and we were in his car, and I looked over at him, and I said, I think you're a nice man. And as I looked at him when he received that, I saw him kind of shrink down in his seat and he seemed to get smaller. And at that moment, I realized that I hadn't been telling the truth and I certainly wasn't getting the result that I wanted. So I called him the next day. I, I wasn't courageous enough to right. revise right then and there. but I called e- him. Even the experts don't have even all the, the courage ex- in the no, world. No, exactly. <laughs> That's why we have this truth skill because yes. no matter how good you get at this, sometimes... You don't either have the awareness or the courage until a day or two later. So I did call him and I said, you know, when I said you're a nice man, I realized that I was trying to play it safe. And what I wished I would have said was, I'm wildly attracted to you. (laughs) And boy, that really changed things. And, um, you know, we had a good time after that. All right. Yeah, he was very happy to hear that. Yeah. Yes. So I was able to go out and come in again, and I want people to, to use that truth skill liberally because that's mm-hmm. one of the ones that is most welcome by the other person. And truth skill number six. The next one has to do with what I call reowning projections. This is pretty technical, but this is very psychological. And what goes on in relationship is a lot of times you will be attracted to somebody who pushes some kind of button for you, who re-stimulates some old childhood wish or fear. In the beginning, it's usually a wish. They'll re-stimulate your wish to be taken care of or your wish to have somebody who's scintillating and keeps the conversation ball rolling. Or You'll see the positive side of them. But later on, usually it takes a while for, for these darker things to come out what will happen is maybe this person that on a positive side stimulated your wish to be taken care of and and that felt good, later on it starts to feel controlling and you actually have a fear button about being controlled. You know, a lot of us have a fear of being controlled. Maybe our parents were over-controlling and whatever. So people's buttons get pushed and they tend to blame the other person for doing something, and they shouldn't do that thing. They they shouldn't tell me how to cook the meal, or they shouldn't come in and say, hey, it's time to go now when we're leaving on a trip. You know, they they shouldn't have done it, or they shouldn't have done it that way. And what I want people to do is own their own buttons. I just call it real. Taking responsibility for your own buttons rather than thinking that the other person's doing something wrong. Right. So if, if I get offended when my partner says, come on, it's time to go, 
and I say, well, stop controlling me. I'm doing the best I can or something like that. Right. So that's either my button that I'm being criticized or my button that I'm being controlled. Yes. If I can own up to the fact that I have that button, and I actually teach people to be able to say that, you know, I think I'm getting a button pushed here. I know yes. my gut's getting tight. I'm right. feeling like I want to explode. So that must mean one of my buttons is getting pushed. It must be my control button. Uh-huh. And uh, so I better push pause here and connect with myself. And basically what you're doing there is connecting with that inner wounded child who got way too much criticism or got way too much control. So it all does come back to being able to nurture yourself when you're in discomfort or pain. Right. Reowning projections is owning the fact that you're going to get your buttons pushed and that they're your buttons. And if you get your buttons pushed, it's not the other person's fault. They're your buttons. Exactly. And it's old pain. Frankly, I think it's old pain that needs to be felt so that you can heal it. Yes. We might have time for uh, number seven, and then I think we're going to have to have them buy the book if they want the yeah, rest. Can you tell us? For the rest. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> tell more, us about uh, number yeah. seven. One more is embracing silence. Yes. And what that means is, let's say after you ask a question of somebody, you leave the silence. You don't keep explaining why you asked the question or why they don't need to answer it. You just kind of let the silence be there because right. that's a moment of real genuine vulnerability between two people and connection between two people. So you, you learn to value the silence between uh, individuals and between your words and your sentences. And also okay. when somebody asks you a question, you don't have to pop off with a quick, witty answer. You can yes. reflect for a while. So embracing silence is also actually very, very intimate and a good skill to have. Well, let's leave it at that, Susan. If they want the last three truth skills and the rest of your advice, they're going to have to buy the book. It's called Truth and Dating. How can people contact you, Susan? Well, my website is SusanCampbell.com, and that's spelled like Campbell Soup, Camp Bell. SusanCampbell.com, they can get free email newsletter there and and lots of other freebies, as as well as... um, participate in an online question and answer advice thing that I do too so I do a little chat thing uh, yes and they can click and sign up for those things on my website okay I'd like to thank my guest Dr. Susan Campbell Single Living is a production of the Singles Podcasting Network in San Rafael California if you have any comments or suggestions about single living feel free to email us at comments at singlespodcastingnetwork.com Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, this is your host, Rich Goss.